Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. We say that repentance is to what? Is to receive the gospel. When you receive the gospel, what have you done? You've repented. You've turned from ungodliness to God. That is repentance, simply. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. God's word is enlarged and is established. Hallelujah. So today we'll be talking about the believer's repentance. Amen. Under the series Forgiveness of Sins, we'll be looking at repentance. Now I know and I'm aware that some people are here for the first time. I saw some people rise up. So I'll just give a recap of what we've said. Then we'll go into looking at what we have for today. The previous teachings we said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins is not, what is not? It's not showing you are sorry for some wrong you've done. When we talk about repentance for the forgiveness of sins, it is not showing that you are sorry for what wrong you've done. You know, as the English dictionary will define it. Crying and feeling sorry is not actually what um, makes God compassionate to forgive sins. I repeat these things as emphasis because it's very important. You're crying and you're feeling sorry and your emotions and the sense of regret is good. I'm not saying that when you cry or when you regret is not is, is a crime. No, what I'm saying is that is not what makes God forgive sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins, we also said, is not to say, stop sinning, then God will forgive you. Then that will be works. You know, you can't stop sinning by your own before God will accept it. The Bible says that while we're yet sinners, what has he done? He died for us. So, forgiveness is a product of his grace and his mercy towards us. So, we don't do anything to receive forgiveness of sins. So repentance for the forgiveness of sins cannot be stopped sinning so that God will forgive you. So repentance is not stop sinning for God to forgive you. In fact, we said repentance is a gift God has granted to all men. So if something is a gift, you, do, you are not the one that uh, originated it, right? It's a gift someone gives you. It's a gift to all men. All men have been offered the gift of salvation, the gift of repentance, the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of no condemnation. The worst sinner you can think of on the street has been offered the gift of repentance. The same offer you have that you enjoy today is what the worst sinner has been offered. It is not what you do, then God responds. Acts chapter 11, verse 17. New King James Version, we're seeing, is a gift given to you. It's a gift. Acts 
chapter 11, verse 17. So I ask you, Acts 11, 17 to 21. So if therefore God gave them, now this is the apostle speaking. says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he, as he gave us, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Quickly, please. When they had these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles what? Repentance to life. So it's something that God grants. God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. The context says that the Jewish or the apostles were arguing about some of the apostles going to mingle with the, you know, the, what they call the Gentiles. And they, 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 they have to explain to them what happened in the meetings with the, with the Gentiles. And that the Gentiles have received repentance. So what I say is that it's a gift to all men. Now, those who were scattered at the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Preaching the word to, 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 to no one but to the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. I said, this turning to the Lord is repentance. Hallelujah. Many believed, and they turned to the Lord. So it is what God grants to men, to all men. So we don't generate it from within ourselves. So the question that we'll be looking at is, does that imply that believers do not need to repent now that they are born again? Does it mean that believers no longer need repentance? We have already believed the gospel for our salvation. Do we need repentance? Since we have believed and we've established that repentance is actually believing the gospel. Now, to properly answer this question, we must first answer another important question. Hallelujah. And the question is, do believers sin? Do believers sin? Can a believer sin? Previously, we looked at the word sin, right? The word sin in the Bible is not always meaning the same thing in anywhere it appears each time we see it in scriptures. Meaning that we must always use biblical words within their contextual usage as given in the scripture. What I'm saying is there's no word in the Bible that have a universal meaning. So when you see sin in Genesis, you have to look at what is that sin in the context of its usage. That's how you can define that sin there. When you see, for God loved the world, for an example, a practical example, you have to look at which, what is this world that God loves in the context of this scripture, this verse, or this, this mode of communication here. Then another scripture which says, do not love the world. So how can God contradict himself? If he himself loves the world, then how can we not love the world? So within the context of the usage of the word world, you can't say it's of universal meaning. They are different. It's not the same thing. Hallelujah. So no word is of universal meaning. Context always defines the meaning of words in scriptures. 
Now, we learned previously that there are two common words translated as sin in the New Testament. But they have different meanings, slightly different meanings. And the two words are what? Huh? What? Okay. Hamartano and what? And hamartia, right? And we say that one is a verb. Which one is a verb? Hamartano is a verb. And hamartia is a noun. If you don't know the spelling, ask your neighbor. Hamartano means to miss the mark. In a sense of actual sinful behavior. Something you do from time to time. Talking about the action. For example, now, when someone goes to steal, what is he doing? He's doing hamartano, right? Yes. He's doing an action which is defined as sin. And we also saw the other one, hamartia, which is a noun, you know, meaning also to miss the mark, but in a different sense, it, it's, it's the inward condition and not an action. Hamartia can also means a governing principle or power which is within an individual. Of course, this is what we offer, also often refer to as the nature of sin. So one is a nature and the other is an action. Hallelujah. Now example now, Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. We've done this before, is a recap. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And I said the sin here is not talking about action. Hallelujah. The sin here is referring to a nature, is referring to a personality, is referring to an identity. How can we who have died to that nature, live in it all again. So the verse referring to a state of sin, or what we easily can call the nature of sin, it is not talking about the action of sin. Shall we continue in? That is the nature of sin. And rather not, shall we continue to sin? These are two different explanations here. So if the scripture says, shall we continue to sin, then it will refer to an action. Which, of course, will be hamartia. But he's saying, shall we continue in? Not talking about a nature. Shall we continue in sin? Is a nature. That grace may abound. And the answer is what? It's no. Jump to verse 7 and verse 8. Let's look at what has happened to the believer. What has happened to the nature of sin in the believer. For he who has died has been what? Has been freed from what? from sin. So the believer is one who has died to sin. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, what have we done? We believe that we shall also live with him. Hallelujah. So, the scripture is emphatically very clear about the status of the believer. He is dead to sin. Hallelujah. So, the nature of sin is no longer the problem of the believer because he is in Christ. Remember, we're trying to ask, do believers have to repent? And if we have to ask that do believers need repentance, then we have to ask, do believers sin? And if believers sin or they don't sin, what is even sin itself? 
And we are seeing that the nature of sin in the believer is not in existence. Hallelujah. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And what sin is here? It's talking about the action. Are we together? Now, this is not talking about a nature, but it's talking about what? It's talking about an action. A children of God are those who are born of God. In them, the nature of God dwells. There's no sin in them. Hallelujah. But he's saying, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours only, but also for the whole world. So here the scripture is referring to the sin the believer commits by action. The things he does. Sin. Give me verse 12. Verse 12 of that text. To just buttress. Verse 12. An emphasis. John was saying. He says, I write you little children because your sins are what? Are already forgiven you for his name's sake. Amen. For whose sake? For his name's sake. Not for your confession's sake. Not for your repentance's sake. For his name's sake. Because of him, you've been forgiven. Because of Christ, you've been forgiven. Because Jesus died, you are forgiven. So, the scripture is referring here to what? To the sin that the believer commits. That is action, not the nature. Sin cannot break the relationship between the believer and God. Man and God has come into an eternal union. That sin cannot separate them. God will not cease to relate with you or with us because of wrongdoing. Amen? I repeat that. God will not cease to relate with you because of wrongdoing. So if you are here and you are feeling condemned because of a wrongdoing, I'm here to tell you the good news. That God is not beefing you. Amen? God is not keeping malice with you. God is not your friend. When I mean your friend, I mean your neighbor, your human friend. That can withhold malice for years. In fact, God has already punished that disobedience in Christ. Amen? So between you and God, you, you are, there's no conflict. There's, no, there's, there's, there's a reason, there's a relationship between you and God. Amen? That is why Jesus was punished for us to have an unbroken relationship with him. If anyone sins, what do we have? We have the advocacy of Jesus Christ. We have the advocacy of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the offering. Jesus is the solution to every sin in action. Even the nature and the action of sin, Jesus is the solution. So if your sin is beyond Jesus, what Jesus can handle, then you don't need Jesus. In fact, you don't need this church. 
Because all of us here, we are saying that Jesus has taken away our sins. So we don't know which Jesus you want to take over your own sin. Okay, you die for your own sin yourself. That's what you're saying. So, there is no conflict between the believer and God. Even when the believer sins, he has the advocacy of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. Let's look at what Jesus does. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. For who? Say for me. So Jesus appeared before the Father for me. Hallelujah. Why does he have to appear before the Father? For me. For my sake. For the sake of, of my sins. That my sins will be forgiven. And up till now, he sits on the throne. For me. The advocacy of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Hebrews 7 25. Quickly. Therefore, he is also able to serve to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he was, he always lives to make intercessions for them. The advocacy of Jesus to the believer. He makes intercession for them. So, no man can pray for Jesus to pray for you. Are we together? Your pastor cannot pray to God to pray for you. Listen, emphatically, there is no saint, living or dead, that can pray for you. Are we together? There is no man, living or dead, that should pray for you. You can't go through any man to God. Jesus is the way to God. So in case you memorize some prayers, you are praying for one of your ancestors to help beg God for your behalf. I'm telling you that the solution is who? It's Christ. That is his ministry, even now, to the believer. He is the only mediator, he is the only intermediary between man and God. And you have access to him by the Spirit because you've come into union with him. A relationship that is unbroken, that even sin cannot break it. Hallelujah. Therefore, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.31 Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.31, quickly. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, he says he's, 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 he has appeared before the Father for us. Hallelujah. Therefore, if God is for us, as Jesus has appeared before the Father for us, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Who can be against us? Or rather, what can be against us? Thirty-two, quickly down to um, thirty-nine. He who died, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for who? For you, for us, all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Thirty-three. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If God has elected you, his election is of grace. There's no charge. It is God who, who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
It is Christ who died. So will Christ who died for you condemn you? And furthermore, it is also reason. It's also reason. Who is even at the what? Look at where Jesus is. He's where? He's in the Father. Who also makes what? Intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's not going to love you. Hallelujah. Listen. God would not love you. Hmm? He will not love you more. And he will not love you less. In God, there's no capacity to reduce the volume or the velocity of his love. Amen? His love is not, is not, it doesn't change with the weather. It doesn't waver. His love is not, is not, is not, is not uh, peak based on your performance. When you are good, you have good, great lecturers. Hmm? Sometimes you look at the student, this student is safe. He's not, he didn't try in this class. He was, uh, he can give any score. God does not have that ability to do that. He cannot do that because that is not in his nature. What I'm saying is God's love is constant. That is what makes him God. He's reliable and he's dependable. Hallelujah. For I am persuaded that what? That neither death nor life See, for someone to come to this level of persuasion, hmm? no angels, if an angel appeared to you and said you've lost your salvation, telling you are a liar. He's a demon. Amen? Not even the, not even the angels on the pulpit. If you're in catechismus, you know what an angel is. <laughs> No, no angels or principalities. These are their seniors. They are, you know, they are in ranks. No powers, no things present or things to come. No height, no depth, no any other created thing. You know, that this any other created is ETC. Are we together? That's ETC there, etc. Right? Sin is included there. There's nothing shall be able to separate us from what? From the love of God. Which is where? Which is founded in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. 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 Say nothing. Nothing. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Not even sin. Not even demons. Not even my village people. Amen. Alright. So do believers sin? Yes. Obviously, based on the scriptures we read. And from our Bible reading, we read from Corinthians, a very powerful church, full of the Holy Ghost. And in chapter 5, let's read chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 2. 
we see something happening in the church. Now, I want to establish something here. It says it is actually reported. Paul received a report about the church in Corinthians because he's not there. He received a report. And what's the report he had? He had a very bad report about them. They are believers, but this is a report he had about the Corinthian church. So if you are talking about giving of the spirit, how they manifested it, this is the condition of the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as it is not even named among Gentiles. Gentiles here means people that are not believers. That means that even atheists, they don't commit the kind of, this kind of sexual immorality people will do. And how do they do it? That the man has his father's wife. How? Eh? And they are proud of it. Look at it. And you are puffed up. And not rather mourn that he, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. So they are bragging, we are full of the Holy Ghost. We are Holy Ghost filled. And this is your condition. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's what he's saying. Amen? Something is wrong. What is wrong with your head? Oh, Lori, what did they say? Cuckoo, huh? My robot is not good, but I know what I mean. You have, you have coconut head, that's what it means. I mean, you're, something is wrong with your, your sense. You are not normal. That's what, he's saying you are not normal. What you're doing is not normal. Right? It's not, you are not normal. How can you do that? That kind of evil. Amen? But do you know that Paul never called them sinners? We'll see that later. Verse 7 and, and 8. Jump to verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. Therefore, put out all living that you may be a new lump. Cell meeting have dealt with this. Since you truly are unliving. For indeed Christ, our Passover was sac sacrificed for us. The next verse. Therefore, let us what? Keep the feast. Not with unliving, nor with the living of malice. Which means that malice is in this church. Right? Wickedness is in this church. But with the unliving bread of sincerity and truth. So he's telling us, live wickedness. And do what? And do the truth. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. What we're trying to say is a believer's sin. We're trying to prove with evidences and scriptures that a believer sin. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, even man is overtaken in any trespass. This trespass means fall. It means sin. Right? You who are what? Who are spiritual. Concerning the spiritual. Hmm? You who are spiritual restore such one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself, lest you also be tempted in the same manner at which you was tempted. Which means that the believer can sin. Do we agree? Alright. So the believer who has the Holy Spirit can still commit sin despite already receiving the gift of no condemnation. The believer who has been forgiven can still sin even after receiving the gift of no condemnation. You know, we often 
are tempted to think that some sins are more superior than others. You know, I don't fornicate, I don't steal. What else? In Cyprus, I don't touch keys, or I don't do prostitution. Then I'm holy. Ah, God, have, ah, my prayer life is. They say, how, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I, I thank God for my life, but you didn't pray last night. Prayerlessness is what? Is it a sin? Worry is what? Ah, really? The Bible says, do not worry. Don't worry, right? And if you worry, what have you done? You have sinned. Is it a big sin? Is it a small sin? Sin is what? So if God will judge sin, who will make heaven? Tell me. If rapture happened, even me, I would remain standing. Because this morning somebody made me angry. Do not be quick to anger. Right? And you are easily getting angry. That means that you are not a candidate of rapture. May Lord give you understanding. So not walking in love is also sinning against Christ. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 7. Give me 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7 to 12. You see that not walking in love is sin. However, there is not in everyone, eh? there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of idol until now, until what? Now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. Now it's, it's a matter of conversation. Eating uh, food given to idols, which is, he's talking about walking in love one for another. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Next verse. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest someone, somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an, eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, what have you done? And wound their conscience, what have you done? You've sinned against Christ. So when you don't walk in love, when you don't walk in understanding, when you place a brother or a sister at a position that he falls or is weak and he stumbles, what have you done? You've sinned. Not walking in love is sin. We can also grieve the Holy Spirit by our conduct. This is also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. To touch one. Let no corrupt words. Does it look like somebody you know? There's a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Let no what? Corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? So let me ask you, all the words you've been speaking to your housemate, is it edifying? Or is uh, scattering? I'll just tell her the peace of my mind. No, you know me, I don't take nonsense. 
I'll just say it the way I want to say it. I'll just say my mind. Is it to edify or to tear down? That it may impart what? Grace to the hearers. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, saying things that are corrupt is actually grieving the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means that you are sealed, but you are grieving the who, he who you've, you've been sealed by your conduct. Let all bitterness, remember Ephesians is a church too. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, evil speaking, be put away from you with all Mr. Malice. Unforgiveness is sin. Hypocrisy is sin. Murmuring. Hmm? Laziness. I wish I can show you in scripture. Laziness. Laziness. It's sin. They remove your name from the book of life. Unnecessary rage and anger. You know, we, we in our family we have we have anger issues. Something small, you are afraid of your brother in Christ. I would have said something here. I was in the, I'm in the WhatsApp group somewhere. My classmates actually. I will share this. Even if the person here, you are here, I would say it. <laughs> the lecturer did not come to class yesterday. So four of us were able to log into the class. And they couldn't. So they were frustrated on the WhatsApp group. They couldn't join the class. So they said, can we please, we are able to enter. Tell the lecturer to give them the permission because she was actually experiencing technical problems. And this is what happened. And I typed in the group. I said, please, you people should knock very well. <laughs> Maybe she will hear and open the door. And the brother became angry. <laughs> Contextually, what, what do you think I was? It was a joke, right? The brother became angry. Is, is this a joking matter to you? I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> you know what happened in that group? Everybody ignored him as if he didn't say anything. Later on, he now texts in the group, ah, sorry, I responded this. And I said, ah, I said, brother, this is just humor. Hmm. It's not for that. And we have encounter, you know, as, as brothers, as friends. So quick to anger anything small, you flare. Are you a child of God? I mean, that is not our identity. That is not what we have. Hallelujah. So, it is also not good. That's the Bible says that shouldn't be our character. So, sin in simple terms is acting contrary to the word of God. Right? Acting contrary to the word of God. So, that is a simple word. Don't not go into theology. Simple. So, to, do believers sin? Yes. Do we seldom act contrary to the word of God? Yes. 
But the believer is never called a sinner. Very, very accurate and fundamental. The believer is never called a sinner. Believers are not sinners because they are born of God. They have the nature of God in them. All men are not sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many, what? We are made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Just leave this verse like this. Let it hang in the air like this. Look at this verse. The first part of it, is it past tense or present tense? Hmm? It's past tense, right? Many were made, which means that many were made what? Sinners, which means that it's a past tense. It's something that happened. So a man who is in Christ is what? He's made righteous. So he's no longer a sinner because he's righteous in Christ. Hallelujah. So the believer is not a sinner. So don't allow anybody to say, to quote, to say you are a sinner. That's not your nature. That's not your identity. That man have died when you believe. Many were made. That is a past condition. Sinners is used in the scriptures for spiritually dead people. Are we together? For spiritually dead people. Those disobedient to God, not by action, eh? not by their actions, but by their nature and reflecting in their action, they are disobedient to God. They don't believe the gospel. Jude chapter 5, Jude verse 5 and 19, 5, 15 rather, Jude 15 to 19. Give me Jude 15 to 19. Jude 15. To execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. Which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, he's talking about some crop of people here. This, this, he's talking about sinners. Verse 16. These are what? Grumblers. Complainers. Hmm? You may see some things here that, that maybe you do, right? But it's what characterizes a sinner. Which simply means that you are like that person Paul was talking in Ephesians 5, uh, First Corinthians 5, verse 1. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, uh -huh. flattering people to gain advantage. But you, now he has shifted from who? From describing a sinner. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, how they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who will walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So what, what, is, the, what, is, the, what is the most distinguishing factor 
between the believer and a sinner is that they don't have the spirit of God in them. That is what makes them sinners. Do you have the spirit of God in you? Do you have the spirit of God in you? Do you have the spirit of God in you? Are you a sinner? Why? Is your identity a sinner? Why? Because you have the spirit of God in you. So what should the spirit of God produce in you? Good works. So if with the spirit of God in you, you see bad works manifesting, what should happen? It means that you are not walking according to your nature, which is of the spirit. Are we together? What is the topic? Do, do believers need repentance? That's the question we're trying to answer, right? Good, and we've not answered it. So when believers do what sinners do, they are acting like sinners, but they are not sinners. It's just like trying to fake an American accent. But we are from Ijebu. Ijebu Ode. Let's see what Paul called the Corinthian believers, despite their eminent sin displayed in that church. Let's see what he calls them. Hmm? Let's see what Paul calls them. Quickly. I'll need some more time. So, yes. Let's see, let's see what Paul called them. This is a church that there's wickedness and all this kind of lack of walking in love and all the horrible things happening. But let's look at how Paul addressed them. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to 15. Quickly. Let's do this quickly. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the word, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through who? Through us. That is the believer. For we are to God, what? The fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. He described the believer as the fragrance of Christ. You know what that means? The fragrance of Christ cannot smell bad. Are we together? That means that... Okay, let's look at another one. Chapter 3, verse 3, quickly. Same book, chapter 3, verse 3. He called them the epistles of Christ. Second Corinthians 3, 3. The epistles. The epistle. Say, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Who is he talking about? The same Corinthian church. He's calling them the epistle of Christ. Ministered by us. Written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stones, but on tablets of the flesh. That is of the heart. Chapter 5 verse 17. Quickly. 5 verse 17. He calls them new creation. 5 verse 17. The believer is, therefore, if anyone in Christ, a new creation... All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Paul referred to these same people. He's calling you a new creation. Verse 21. That same chapter, verse 21. He calls them the righteousness of God. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. So the believer is the righteousness of God. 
Now let's look at another thing he says in the same book, chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. Second Corinthians says, Do not be unequally yoked together with the unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness, which is the identity of who? Of the Corinthian believers, right? Has righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion? You call them light with what? With darkness. You are the light of the world. You are not darkness. Verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So you are the temple of God. He's still calling them you are the temple of God. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons, daughters and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, he's making, he's making a quotation from an Old Testament scripture. Hallelujah. So, he called them righteousness. He called them light. He called them the temple of God. In fact, let's even go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians and see what he called them. You know, if Paul was a Nigerian. Sorry, I'm from Nigeria. And he wants to write a letter to maybe a church like this. I don't think he will begin even on a good note. Right? Say, so all of you smokers, drunkards, all of you sinners. From the first verse, he will start by abusing them. Because what they're doing is wrong. Actually, he, has, he, can, he can do that, right? But look at what he said right from the beginning. Go to chapter 1. He has had a report about their evil conduct. But look at how he began to address them before coming to chapter 5. And then he began to address the issue. Let's look at it. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, rather. 1 and 2, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God. He still called them church. Church of God. Which is at what? At current with all the saints. He called them saints who are in who are all in Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? Verse 2. Go back to verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. It means that you people are falling out of grace. You people are no longer children of God. No. Say, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. God is still your Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. See, even from verse, he called them saints. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and of all comfort. Next. Who comfort us in all our tribulations and on and on. So you see, he began his open address by not calling them sinners. By not addressing them and pointing, he called them saints. He called them children of God. He referred to them as once. If you go on subsequent chapters, time will not permit us. You see how we keep addressing them as believers. In Christ Jesus, they have a position. Even though their external condition has not completely changed. Their nature has changed. Their identity has changed. Their nature has changed. Your nature has changed. Your identity has changed. 
But their conduct has not changed because they are not walking in the word of God. Hallelujah. They are not walking in the word of God. Now, there's a passage where Paul addressed them as sinners. And I'll tell you what, what technique of writing is. He, he, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Paul used a figure of speech in writing called the oxymoron. Do I need to define that? Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of condemnation, commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and ready by all men. First Corinthians, sorry, I'm reading the wrong place. First Corinthians 3, right? Verse 1 to 3. First Corinthians, yes. And I, brethren, mm -hmm, that's what I'm looking for. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people. Are they spiritual? Chapter 12. Concerning what? I will not want you to be what? Right? And here he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as what? But as what? Babes in. Okay. Let's use the word carnal. Carnal means you're not born again. Carnal means... You've not received the spirit. Carnal means you're not born again. You are still carnal. So he says, I'm addressing you as carnal. Of course, as to babes in Christ. I don't want to go too deep. But here is a use of language. He's not saying that they are carnal. In a sense that they are not born again. Are we together? James, even, James used the same pattern when he was addressing the believer. But he's not saying that the believer is a sinner. By identity. Are we together? So oxymoron is a figure of speech that combines contradictory words with opposing meanings like old news. For example, now, if I say old news, there's, not, okay, there's nothing like new news. News is what is news. But if I say old news, you say, how can old be news? So this, I'm teaching English, is oxymoron, right? Another word, Organized chaos. This situation is an organized chaos. You know, they say out of nothing comes something. Oxymoron. No, those ones they are morons. They are not only oxymoron. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Paul here will not be referring to their nature as being carnal, but he is addressing their actions, right? Their actions as though they are sinners. So do believers need repentance when they sin? Hello? So do believers need repentance when they sin? A very brilliant person following the teaching right from day one will say, okay, what is repentance to the believer? If the believer sin in which, walking, which is walking contrary to the word of God, let me read this the way I wrote it. If the believer sin which is walking contrary to the word of God, his repentance is simply turning what? To the word and doing it. Do you understand? So, do the believer need repentance when he sinned? Somebody still say no. Thank you for that no. I'll go further to make you understand. Okay. We said... Repentance is the word 
metanoia, noun, right? Which means a change of mind. We're not using the other one, which means uh, regret. What is it? What is it called? Is it your book? So the noun means to change mind, right? The verb from, okay, the verb form, which is metanoia, which means to change one's mind, think differently after, to reconsider or to think something different, to turn from one point to the other, right? That is what we've described repentance as. We didn't say repentance is to be, feel remorseful or to cry or to regret, right? That's how we, that is how we define repentance for the forgiveness of sins, specifically for the forgiveness of sins. So believers must repent when they sin. That is a thesis topic. The believers must repent when they sin. Okay, let's look at scriptures. Do scripture says that? Let's look at one. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 to 21. For I fear, this is Paul speaking, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. What he's saying is, when I come, you will not like what I will do. You will not like what I, uh, how will he put it now? You will not like what you see when I come. That's what he's trying to say here. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, arbors of wrath, selfish ambition, backbitings, whispering, conceit, tumults, verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned. Now, this is a sin. That previous is explaining their sin, right? Before, and have not what? Have not what? Have not repented of the what? Uncleanness fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. Chapter 5, verse 1. First Corinthians. They have not repented of their uncleanness. Okay, let's look at another one. Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Do the believers need repentance? Yes. Yes. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 to 16. And to the angel of the church in where? Pergamos, right? This thing says he who has sharp two-edged sword. I know your works. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my, my faith, even the days... In which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. This is a figure of speech. But I have a few things against you. Because you have, you, you, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel? To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. That means that among them there are people not working in love. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which think I, which think I, okay. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which think I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fire against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, repent. He's talking to the church to repent. People among them that are 
Dean does things to repent. Now, what does it mean for the believer to repent? Is it the same thing to the unbeliever? If the believer's sin, which is walking contrary to God's word, his repentance is simply turning to the word and doing it. If the believer sin, I am not saying when, I'm not saying the believer must sin, but if he sins, as 1 John 2, verse 1 says, my little children, I'm writing this thing to you so that you will not sin. But if someone sins, we have what? We have Jesus, right? So, if the believer sin, he must repent. And his repentance is turning away from that sin to do or to obey the word, not to be forgiven. But because he has been forgiven, so he turned. He has a change of mind and they think of that and begin to do the work of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Repentance must have a destination and to the believer it is the word of God. Hallelujah. Repentance to the believer is towards the word of God. Repentance is the fruit of the new birth, which is the ability to do the word of God. So if you are born again, you have the ability to do the word. To be born again is being born of the word. First Peter 1.23, we are, we are saved by the word. That's what it says. So if you have challenge with the word of God, which is your identity, then I'm free to question whether you are born again. If you are allergic, you have allergy. Hmm? Like we're in church. Look around. If you see a neighbor sleeping, tap him. Say, are you born again? It's just a joke anyway. But a believer will have love for the word of God. That's what I'm saying. To do the word of God. When they give you edification, which oftentimes is the word. You'll be excited to do the word. Amen? Amen. Matthew says, there's a difference between the Holy Ghost and what? Oh, Brother Shenene. Okay. There's a difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. And he gave him edification. The believer cannot be, be, be having conflict with the word of God. He does the word of God as an identity. The cure for sin to the believer is not asking for forgiveness. God has already granted the gift of forgiveness. The believer is required to just repent. And this repentance for the believer is what? Is believing the gospel and walking in the word. Let's look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Paul is writing to Timothy here. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Remember what Pastor taught us here. What was the conversation here? False teaching. Right? Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who departs the name of Christ depart from what? 
from iniquity. What is iniquity here? Wickedness, which is in this context, is what? Is what? Is false teaching. It's not fornication. In the context of conversation here, it's false teaching. Are we together? When you see iniquity or wickedness, you quickly go to fornication. In this place, I have told you before that the Bible, there's no word that is of universal application or meaning. It must be interpreted within the context of the conversation. That's how you read your Bible. Verse 20. But in a great house, there are... No, I don't want to read this verse. Jump to verse... Uh, verse 22. Verse 22. Jump to verse 22. This is repentance. Hallelujah. Flee also what? Youthful lost. But what? But pursue. Flee. Pursue. Turn away from towards a certain direction. Flee also youthful lost. But pursue righteousness. Faith. Love. Peace. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Depart from iniquity. Flee youthful loss. Then follow righteousness, faith, peace. This is the believer's repentance. Turning from something to another. Having a change of mind from something to another. Now the remedy to the believer's sin problem is not crying or feeling sorry or a sense of regret. That will not solve the problem. The problem can only be solved by what? By doing the word. By doing the word, obedience to the word of God is the believer's turning towards God. Are believers required to cry when they do what is wrong? Crying is of no effect to sin. Let me repeat that again. Crying does not change sin. It doesn't add value to sin or reduce value to sin. Crying or does or not crying does not affect sin or God. So whether you whether you remember, you see you you are, you are approaching what you did, listen, and they talk to you. Some of you are very good. You come to us, we talk to you. You cry, you weep. That is not repentance. Are we together? Repentance is not crying and feeling ah. I'm so sorry for this thing I did. I just fell into it. Of course, we know nobody fall into it. You can walk into it. No, most times, we don't fall into sin. Nobody falls into sin by accident. You think, you plan, you arrange, you strategize. Sometimes it takes months and years. By the things you hear, by the things you see, by the conversation you do, by the company you keep, you are arranging yourself to fall into sexual temptation. So don't say, I, no, you are arranging yourself to walk into sexual temptation. So nobody fall into sin. Nobody fall into sin. We walk into sin. Consciously. Amen? So, I've lost my thought. So crying doesn't make you... So when you cry, sometimes you look at us as if we are heartless. We are not heartless. You know that this crying, you finish the cry, we'll return back to the matter. You must do the identification. Amen? Because repentance is what? It's doing the word. So if you have a struggle in your life, see, it's not 
fighting to stop sin that is a problem. Your biggest problem is not doing the word. It's your lack of giving the word of God the first place in your life. That is why you don't have the power to overcome. The only solution hmm, is the word of God, which is the spirit of God. The spirit of God and the word of God are not, are not separate. Uh, they are not two distinctive components. The word of God is the spirit of God. When the Bible says walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, you're not saying that you should be walking in the air. <laughs> what he's saying is that you should obey the word. Because the word is an inspiration of the spirit. And the spirit gives power to the word. So when you close your Bible, you will not be able to overcome sin. I have to fast and pray. What will you fast and pray? That will be hunger strike. Hmm? You can pray all the tongues you can pray. Create the balance. The word, prayer. What do you even pray? You pray the word. Fellowship with the word. Fellowship with the father. The spirit. Which is the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit as well is the same thing. Amen. Crying is of no value. There's no value at all. All the believer needs to do is repent. And this repentance means walking in the word. The word of God has the capacity to change the believer's appetite for sinful conduct. Devour the word. Tell your neighbor, devour the word. Do the word. That is the cure to sin. That is the cure to sin. Any sinful conduct, the cure is the word. Hallelujah. Every single, anything you see in your life that is not aligning to your identity, which is spiritual, the word of God is a solution. Don't declare five, five years fast, fasting and prayer. Mm -mm. You say, ah, you know, this one does not go except by fasting and prayer. No, 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 no. Fasting and prayer is very important. Now, pastor have taught us to learn how to create Emphasy, right? Fasting and prayer is very good. It's very important. If you're a believer, for the past one year, you've not fasted. Then maybe our father is not the same with you. <laughs> you have to fast. You have to pray. But most importantly, the word becomes the basis by which you do these things. Hallelujah. So repent means to turn to the word. As the, now listen to what I'm going to say clearly here. As the unbeliever must look unto Jesus for salvation of his soul, the believer must look at the world or look at the world to work worthy of the Lord. Right? The unbeliever will turn to Jesus, will look up to Jesus for salvation. The believer will look up unto the word of God for what? So as to walk worthy of the Lord. So as to walk worthy of the Lord. He will have to fix his eyes on the word. This is a difference between the sinner's repentance and the believer's repentance. So all these exegesis is to bring us to these two sentences I just made here. First of all, you repented by believing. That means that you've turned away from your wicked ways. The nature you've identified with Christ the nature have died. 
and you begin to walk in righteousness. But sometimes you'll turn a bit and you begin to do as if you are going back, which is going to a direction that is not your direction. What do you do? You turn back to your direction, which is the word. That is what the Bible calls renewing of the mind by the word. Romans chapter 12, right? The believer's mind needs to be renewed by the word of God. As you are renewed by the word of God, transformation happens. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, that talks about walking by the spirit. Walking in the spirit is responding to the word of God. This is a New Testament repentance. Walking in the spirit is a New Testament concept of repentance. That we are led by the spirit. Our, our ways are guided by the word. We are led by the word. This is New Testament repentance. Renewing the mind by the word. Hallelujah. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? Let's pray. Speak to God. Speak to God. Say, Lord, I believe in this truth. Say, Lord, I believe in this truth. Your word is true. I believe. And I'm forgiven. My identity is in you. I'm not a slave of sin. I turn to your word. I agree with your word. I agree with your word. What your word says is what I am. What your spirit asks me to do is what I do. I'm led by the spirit. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.